You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. See, I normally walk around. You're going to be impressed. I'm a professional. I can do a single standing mic, too. So when you were growing up, so when you were growing up, you could probably remember a house on your street. For whatever reason, that was like that house. And for some of you, there was like fear surrounding it, maybe mystery surrounding it. Maybe it was a little ominous. It could have been the way that it looked. It was overgrown. The people didn't take care of their yard. Uh, you know, there were vines everywhere. And, uh, you know, you never went there when you're selling the chocolate candy bars, did you? Because I'm just not going there. There were rumors of it being haunted, maybe, or like... There was going to be a snake that came out and bit you or, you know, whatever. But um, there's an older person that probably lived there that you never saw that you speculated killed someone. Um, I'm just saying. I mean, we've all had those houses. And there, or maybe, like, there was a house that had, like, there was this terror associated with it, like Sandlot. That's just the, the best picture of this is, like, in Sandlot, you know, with the big dog. And it's supposed to be dangerous and all this stuff. And anyway, but there, there, others of you might have, have, have grown up with a house in the street that your parents hated that there was a there's there this house in the street the family that lived there and uh and maybe for for um maybe now as you've grown up there's a house on your street now that's like this and it's and, and in this house it's uh maybe the the neighborhood bully lives there and so it's like you know about the house you know the people that live in the house and you don't like the people maybe again like maybe it's a bully maybe it's someone in the neighborhood uh it's it's the rich guy it's the rich couple that has gotten, you know, they've gotten wealthy because of ill-gotten gain. And they have crazy parties, they're loud, there's cars screaming up and down the street, you know, and, and, and just in general, you know the house I'm talking about. If you have a house like this on your street or in your neighborhood, and what's your response? You're like praying that they will leave or that something will happen and they can't be there and that they'll move on. There's shady characters there that you're worried about your children associating with or that your neighborhood's associating with. It's bringing the property value of the houses down or whatever. But in any case, you know this house. You don't like the people that live there. You don't like the company they keep, and you want them gone. And so you're praying that they'll leave because it is that house in your neighborhood. I mean, we can all probably relate to this at some level. I know some of you are thinking right now like, oh, my gosh, I'm that house. You know, I know when I, when I hit my teenage years, my brother and I, we definitely were that house. You know, we stole light bulbs at Christmas and strings of light bulbs and would decorate people's car with them when they woke up in the morning. There it was, and it was the Fowler boys, you know. Um, I mean, and there's just story after story after story. But, um, you know, so we were that house. But um, to create context for the story I'm getting ready to share with you in Scripture, this is how Zacchaeus would have felt on his street. Zacchaeus would have felt the things that the people who live in these houses feel whenever they know that they are that house on the street. Condemned, people wishing that they weren't there, associating them with the enemy, and certainly praying that they would leave is how Zacchaeus would have felt. And so I want to bring us into the story of Zacchaeus and, and, and tell you the traditional points that are made from it, but also make a new one today that I feel like the Lord has given me for our church and talking about this season that we're in of le learning and understanding grace. If grace is the ground that we grow in, what is our response to grace when we receive it? 
And so let's look at Zacchaeus, and we'll kind of move into the story from there. And this will be familiar. This is the, like the number one Bible study used in children's ministry, apparently. That's what statistics show. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. They're talking about Jesus who entered Jericho. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on, a, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. And there's nothing wrong with being short. We love short people at River City Church, just like people who smoke. We love everyone, and so does Jesus. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to, that, to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Father, we pray that you'd open our hearts to understand the ramification of what does it mean that you've come to seek and save the lost the scripture would be real to us in a way that brings transformation in our hearts too in jesus name amen you know i'm a creative kind of storyteller and i thought for a second of having thad come up here and be the tree and david kind of climb up on his branch and then i thought no that'd just be awkward in lots of different ways you know but that's the kind of things those are the kinds of stories that we tell when we tell the story of zacchaeus it's kind of a cute little story that we kind of squeeze into uh, our study of Jesus and what Jesus is like. Um, you know, just to give you, paint you a little picture, if this is a new story for you, which it might be, Zacchaeus, um, being a tax collector, would have meant, and people would have looked at him as being in bed with the enemy. Because what tax collectors would do is that they would have to collect money for the Roman government. So basically, this was going on. And he was a chief tax collector. So he had tax collectors working underneath them. So basically, the Roman government was in rule and over the Jews, okay? So what the Roman government would do is they would go find Jews in the community that they lived in and said, hey, guess what you're going to do for us? You're going to collect taxes for us. And you're going to go around to your neighbors, and you're going to become that house on the street that nobody likes. But here's the good news is that you can take as much as you want. We're giving you authority, we're giving you power from the Roman government, and we'll give you guards to enforce with you whatever amount you want to take. You need to give us this portion, but anything above that, you can have. And so, and so this is Zacchaeus, this is his job. And so, he's, so, so not only is he doing that, but he's also managing people in multiple neighborhoods that are doing that. And so the Jews would have seen him like a traitor, someone who's betrayed them. Not only is he working for the government, the Roman government, who's oppressing the Jewish people, who's opposing the kingdom of God, but he's also getting rich in the process. So as the Jewish people in the community, as their livelihood was taking a hit, and there was oppression under the Roman government, this one Jewish person, Zacchaeus, his lifestyle would have been getting better at their expense. He would have been the guy who's throwing the parties. And because he had no friends, he would have been paying for his friends, probably paying for love, probably paying and doing all the things that we associate with the people that live in that house 
on our street. But he would have felt ostracized in his community. He would have felt rejected by his community physically, spiritually, and emotionally. In every way, Zacchaeus would have been the person that would, we would say, the religious people would say, are farthest away from God. And I think, like I said, we love this story. It's one of the most popular stories used in the Bible. Kids can relate to it because they're short, and the Bible teachers will say, look, just like Zacchaeus, you need to push through. You need to find a place. Jesus wants you to come. He wants to have a relationship with you. And we use this in children's stories. We use this with adults saying, maybe you like Zacchaeus or you want to know Jesus more, but you're embarrassed. I challenge you to go out on a limb, trusting that Jesus will call your name. Jesus wants you to come to him. What a great picture of Jesus responding to Zacchaeus up in the tree. Jesus didn't stop by to say hello. He knew his name. Not only did he know his name, he stopped. He invited him into relationship with him. What a great invitation. What a great story to characterize the love and the heart that Jesus has for the people who were furthest away from God, who felt isolated, who felt ostracized. And all of these things are true. But then we see Zacchaeus' response to Jesus' love of repentance, of being reminded that as we hear God's love for us, our response, like Zacchaeus, should be to make amends. It should be then to extend grace. All great stories. But the greatest is at the end when we see Jesus restoring him, when he talks about him coming you know, he is an, a child of Abraham. Jesus is restoring him emotionally and physically and spiritually, emotionally restoring him by eating a meal with him. In the Jewish culture, that was a powerful statement of friendship, of being connected with someone, restoring him physically. Because as Jesus walked into that house, guess what? That house was no longer that house. I mean, the Son of God, the miracle worker, the one that everyone came to see, changed the image of that house right away. And then spiritually, today, salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham, restoring him not only as a Jew, but also someone who has found salvation in Jesus. And then Luke ends the story with the reminder, which is the main point of this story. And this is where I think most people would end the story. For the Son of Man has, came, has come to seek and to save the lost. It's kind of an exclamation point statement at the end of the story. And those are the traditional things that are normally taught with that story. And even if I, as I say that, many of you would respond, would connect, would like, I like this story. I'm Zacchaeus. I like feeling the, the idea that Jesus has come for me, that I feel isolated and he's come to rescue me. When we love elements of the story. It's why it's so popular. But when we take a closer look at the message of grace in this story, it becomes uncomfortable for us, or at least it should. Because when we take a look at Zacchaeus, who he really was, he was a man that felt rejected. He was a man that felt ashamed. He was a man that had great brokenness in his life and that was isolated in every way from the family that should be loving him, from God's people, from the religious people. He was an outcast. And we see this in him trying to not push his way into the crowd knowing that he'd be rejected, maybe beat up, maybe elbowed as he tried to squeak in. So he finds himself hiding in a tree. 
When Adam and Eve were full of shame, were full of guilt, what was their response? The same as Zacchaeus. They tried to hide themselves with a tree. He was ashamed. He was embarrassed. He knew he wasn't welcome by anyone. He knew that they wanted him off their street, out of their neighborhood. He knew that the Jewish people hated him in every way. He also knew that he didn't really want Jesus to see him because he didn't know how Jesus, the religious person, would respond to him. He might have even thought that Jesus, because he was religious, would have hated him more than anyone else. If it was true about the things that they were talking about Jesus, the power that he had to understand people's hearts, the things that Jesus would know about people, he would certainly know those things about Zacchaeus. And it must have terrified Zacchaeus to know that Jesus would know that he was a tax collector, know that he was oppressing his own people. He must have been terrified when Jesus stopped under the tree that he was hiding in. And then... He began to draw attention to Zacchaeus. Imagine that feeling that Zacchaeus would have felt, the anticipation. Oh, my word, here it comes. Not only has he stopped, he's looking at me, and I can tell he's getting ready to say something. What will it be? Will he condemn him? You sinner, you traitor, you tax collector, you son of a, I mean, what would he say? What's Jesus going to say to me? He, and where is he going to go? He's hanging on to a tree. He's a grown man. Just being a grown man up in a tree hiding is embarrassing enough, right? I mean, seriously, when was the last time you climbed a tree as a grown person? Probably not in a while. And if you have, you're not talking about it to anybody. Would he laugh at him? Oh, what a lo- I mean, he could have just stopped and smirked at him. And then the crowd would have joined in and laughed and just... Heaped on the embarrassment and the shame that he was already feeling. Was Jesus just going to add to his rejection, his condemnation and isolation? I have to believe that that's what Zacchaeus would have expected. Based on his experience with the religious community that Jesus was there talking to, ministering to. Jesus was a Jew. He was a rabbi. He was called teacher. These were the people that were hurting Zacchaeus the most. These were the people that were driving him off their street, praying for him to leave. Making him feel the most isolated. But Jesus' response was not judgment. It was not condemnation. When he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to be with you. Jesus then drew everyone's attention off Zacchaeus onto him. Jesus began to be the one that people's judgment fell on. He's going to the house of a sinner. Condemnation. Who does he think he is? He's going to that house? Why would Jesus do that? Luke tells us at the end. Because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And so Jesus takes the condemnation that Zacchaeus deserves. Jesus takes the isolation 
that he will feel on the cross from his father that Zacchaeus deserves. Jesus takes the judgment that Zacchaeus deserves because of his love for Zacchaeus. Because Zacchaeus is who he came for. Zacchaeus is how Jesus keeps score. Zacchaeus is what grace looks like when we understand it in the proper context. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That's the main point of the story. He came for people. He came for people that you are praying to leave your street. He came for people in our community that you are praying will leave our community. A friend of mine went to town hall when we were voting for gay and lesbian rights in our city. She's a believer. She has a heart for this community. She's going to go be present there. To love this group that has been ostracized by our church, by the religious people in our community, have been made to feel like they are less than, have been made to feel isolated, rejected, and condemned, just like Zacchaeus. And so she goes there and sits in this community. And she tells me the story of there being two groups in the room. One group waiting up in the tree for more condemnation, more judgment, and defeat once again. Another group standing around waiting to ostracize, to judge, and condemn again. The vote comes out. And again, this isn't about the vote. This isn't about the issue. I'm not, this, the, 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 the point I'm making today is about our response as the church to groups of people who feel like Zacchaeus. And the vote goes through, and sure enough, the gay and lesbian community lose the vote. And all the religious people in the room start hooping and hollering, cheering, praise Jesus, we've won, we've won. Praise Jesus, you've lost, and we've won in their face. And like Zacchaeus, once again, they feel the rejection, they feel the condemnation, they feel the judgment, they feel the isolation from the religious people, from the people who say that they know God and their community, just like Zacchaeus felt ostracized emotionally, spiritually, and physically. We won. We won. Really? What did you win? What was won that day? What did you win? Your rights? You lose those when you begin to follow Jesus. Jesus fought for the lost. Jesus measures Score and victory of those that are ostracized, broken, defeated, and sent out. Jesus didn't win anything that day. Jesus lost that day. If we're keeping score the way that Luke tells us Jesus keeps score. If Jesus came to seek and to serve the lost, that was not a day of victory for God. Because God is after those who that day were oppressed. And there was no one there except for this person to offer them grace, to offer them love, 
to, uh, to extend what Jesus extended to Zacchaeus. I mean, if we heart jacks, if we love jacks, we don't get to choose those groups. We don't get to choose who we love. We love, period. We extend grace because grace has been extended to us. And when we start judging instead of extending grace, it's because we've forgotten the grace that we've received, the forgiveness that we've received, the brokenness that we've been healed from. When we hold up the mirror of grace, we see and are reminded from where we've been saved, from where we've come from. Everyone needs to know who Jesus is. When we place Jesus, when I place Jesus in the town hall meeting, in the vote, what is my response? What do I think his response would be in that environment? It's love. It's grace. It's comfort. It's moving alongside of people. I don't see him jumping up and down, hooping and hollering with the the church that day. I just don't. If I'm honest, I just don't see that. I don't see him doing it. I mean, look at the woman caught in adultery. She was, she was caught in a sin, a sexual sin that some people would associate with this community. Not everyone, but some would. Punishable by death. I mean, we don't have sin that's punishable by death, but murder now. So it could have been a murder. Someone's caught who's just murdered someone. They're brought to Jesus. What's his response? Is it condemnation? Is it judgment? No, it's forgiveness. It's love. It's grace. But wait, Antley, but, but, but wait, 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 wait. He told her to sin no more. Right. After he extended love and grace. Love and grace, when it's experienced, results in behavioral changes. We don't expect behavioral changes, and then we give them love and grace. But that's exactly what we're doing. Zacchaeus. Up in a tree, terrified, Jesus, I love you. I want to be with you. Come and have a meal with me. I'm going to come to your house. Love, grace, forgiveness. Zacchaeus' response, I repent. Forgive me. Fourfold. I'm going to make this right. Jesus, you're restored. Love and grace, behavior change. That's how it works. But we can't do that. We don't do that because we have forgotten. We have forgotten that like Zacchaeus, there was a day you were the house on Jesus' street. You were the person in your brokenness. And maybe you didn't look like it to the world, but to God, you were repulsive. You were disgusting. You were dirty, condemned, unrighteous. And you owed him. You owed him a tax for your brokenness and for your sin and for your unrighteousness. And the penalty for your tax was death, is what Paul says in Romans. The wage that you owe God is your very life, is death. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. That's what we deserve. And there was a day that, that, that death came collecting for you. And Jesus, in your place, like Zacchaeus, took your condemnation. 
He took your suffering. He took what you owed his father on himself. Not because you deserved it, but because he loved you. And we judge because we've forgotten that truth. Why would Jesus do that? Why would he do that for me? Because while we were still sinners in our brokenness, while we were weak, unable to make a choice to follow him, he sent Jesus to love us like he did Zacchaeus. He sent his son to be sin so that we would know no sin and we'd be the very righteousness of Christ. While we are still sinners, God sent Jesus, his only son. He killed him, crushed him, isolated him in every way from the Trinity so that you would not have to be isolated, rejected from yours and from him. He took what you deserve. And we judge and we condemn because we forget the grace that's been extended to us. Grace is radical, folks. Grace is extreme. It should stretch you. It should cause you to pause and realize the distance that Christ came to save you. And as you respond, it should be in grace, like Zacchaeus did, like Zacchaeus did, like this friend of mine did, walking in a community that everyone else is condemned. Let's stand. So what's our response? I mean, that's a heavy talk. That's serious. What's Haley saying? This is the story of grace in our life. And some of us this morning need to be taken back to the roots of that story where we once were the house on the street and be reminded that it's only because of grace that we know who Jesus is, that we're able to love. And some of us need to receive that this morning. Re-receive grace. Others of us need to repent for the condemnation and the judgment that we've shown to the very people that Jesus has come to love, and, and many of us with good intention. But God wants to bring restoration this morning. He wants to bring healing. He wants us to be a church that loves Jacks, that loves our community, everyone in our community, to bring Jesus to everyone in our community. Without Jesus, nothing changes. Jesus is the only hope that we have to bring transformation to people who don't know him. And that's grace. But we will only do it as we understand it for ourselves. So this morning, if you want to receive God's grace, be reminded of God's love for you. Repent for the things that you've misunderstood in terms of your role as his servant who's received grace. Then we'd love for you to come forward and leave space for God to do that. The good thing about God's grace is that it just keeps going. It just keeps going. You know, in every group of people that are represented here, if it's a high schooler and there's a kid in your school that everyone ostracizes and that you've been a part of, it's an opportunity for you to make that right with God this morning. If you're a business person, there's someone that you've mistreated, that you've cheated, that you've condemned, that you won't do business with. This morning, God can redeem that.
if you're in a marriage that's broken, that you've been hurt, made to feel isolated, you've been wronged in a relationship, it might be that God wants you to extend grace in a direction so that you can find freedom like the woman who shared her testimony today. See, grace, when we offer it to people, actually brings us freedom, brings us release from the condemnation, the twistedness that can occur when we become bitter and angry. And so if you want prayer for any of those things, if you're on our prayer ministry team, we'd love for you to come forward. And we're going to do ministry now to see what God wants to do. So why don't we do that?